Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your house plants or your outdoor plants, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Questions, comments, or concerns? Before Mister Kelly gets into the newsroom, I know he's very busy. Uh, how about the birds? What about the birds? When it gets colder. Oh, you mean the real birds? Real birds, not yeah. the cardinals, <laughs> not the team. Yeah, they're out there. Oh, so, I love it when it snows and they're out there. Yeah, I mean yeah. we've had some. It's just been amazing as far as the amount of. We have a bunch of chickadees that hang around us. Yeah. And so I used to feed them, but there's too many cats in the oh, neighborhood. Yeah. So yeah, we got it just it, it was a magnet. So I stopped feeding them. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious. I know you, a couple of weeks ago you showed me a picture of your neighbor's peacock. Yeah. Is, yeah. is it outside in the oh, weather? Yeah. And it, you know, it's <laughs> now it's spending a lot of time underneath our, our porch, our, our little screen and porch. And it, he spends a lot of time under there. <laughs> And wow. he he's funny because how how you know when he'll he'll come over and he'll poke around and he'll realize there's no fresh seed on the ground and he'll like sit there and look at the door and, and look wait. at the window and he'll hear me at the window and he'll look up <laughs> and then when I come out he will run to the bird feeders knowing that I'm going to carry that big bag of s- sunflower seed and hand him <laughs> some and then when I fill it up of course I let some spill so we can have some of that sure but, oh yeah he's got me trained oh good oh yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, the cardinals, the woodpeckers, and the other ones, they're all out there, too. The finches are emptying the feeder pretty quickly. Right. So, oh, yeah, busy, busy time. Sounds great. It so, is So, you've spoiled a peacock. I have. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Well, well, thanks. Great, Great insight. Yes, folks, and every Saturday morning, if Brian Kelly happens to be here, I will t- discuss things with him. But today, right now, and every Saturday, we discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants, soil improvement. Should you be planting anything this time of year? How about those live Christmas trees versus the cut Christmas trees versus the artificial Christmas trees? Planting removals, what are the best choices? Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take mental and physical effort on your part during this great marathon called gardening. And remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I always appreciate his, the fact he's here and uh, makes things go very smoothly, even when I stumble and fall and everything else. But uh, I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've authored five gardening books. Two are available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And uh, if you'd like to give a walk and talk as a, as a gift certificate or as a present or whatever, you can just email me at MikeMillerDesigns.com or you can actually call either number and uh, I can get a gift certificate to you. 
for a walk and talk. Or if you just like to have a walk and talk yourself. Today after the show, I'm headed up to Bridgeton to do a walk and talk. And remember, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Oh, gosh, it's so dark, you know, this time of year, and especially when it's cloud cover. And, uh, you know, I looked at the computer before I left. It was, you know, low 20s and said it felt like 16. I thought, hmm. So anyway, I decided to head out. I headed north on 55, took the exit to Walnut Street. And I found a lighted oasis during this darkness. It was right along Market Street. It's the east, well, actually, it's west side of the old courthouse or the east end of the city park garden. What is that? Who knows what that thing is called? It's fantastic, though. The focal point is a Salvation Army Tree of Lights. And as a walker headed by on this, really, the, the sidewalk and everything in that area, when it was redone, I mean, it looks like a patchwork quilt is actually fantastic. And I look down at the ground, and there's a few clumps of liriope, which are still green. They're growing underneath the oak street trees. And I headed over a small lawn hill, and uh, some chickadees took off. They were underneath some uh, flowering cherry trees. I'm not exactly sure what they were doing. There must have been something there for them to eat because there was about six of them or so. And as soon as they, I started walking towards them, they whoosh, and they wondered, what in the world am I doing out there? So, Anyway, as I got to the Tree of Lights, there's a great, you know, it's skirted around the bottom with a wrap of various pictures and also the classic icon of the uh, uh, Salvation Army Christmas Tree of Lights, which is kind of a squiggle tree, and um, it's, it's just kind of neat. And uh, as I looked around... The tree, I, I forget exactly how it works. I think there has to be a certain level of donations, and then more and more lights are lit all the way around it. So, but I looked to the left, and I, you know, I've gone to the city park a lot, and I'd not remember seeing this statue. So I walked over to this statue, and it was a statue of Frankie Muse, M-U-S-E, Freeman. And she had a briefcase in her hand. She was wearing glasses. And she had some papers in her hand, and it looked like she was heading for work. And I said she was a, an attorney at law. And uh, she's surrounded by various benches and all kinds of things for people to sit down and relax and rest. Deciduous trees and perennials, oh, they were looking really like, whoa, it is really winter time. But there's the evergreen holly, which adds some pizzazz. There's a grove or a group of oak leaf hydrangeas. And they refuse to let go of their brown foliage. And a running man, he's there. He's headed over towards the Winterfest Ice Rink. And that's sponsored by the Gateway Air Arch Park Foundation. And the Zamboni machine is sitting there. And he's actually, you know, got an electric cord. He just plugged into a regular, like, wall outlet or something. I thought it would take some kind of special thing. And there was a big clump of ice or whatever that the Zamboni, I, had, I guess, had dumped last night. And uh, there's benches, actually, for the ice rink. So if you want to check out some of the benches or watch the people skating, you don't have to just stand. You can sit. And the playground, it invites all comers, but there was nobody there right now. And as I started, I couldn't get into, obviously, the ice rink. So, But there was like a big sheet of ice around, kind of around part of the perimeter of the ice rink. So I thought, well, maybe I'll slip and slide 
on this ice here since I can't do anything on the ice rink. And by the way, I cannot ice skate. I'm terrible. I'm scary. I'll kill people. So I don't even get out on the ice rink anymore. Greg's a very good, very good ice skater, but me, no, no, no. Stay off those skates. Roller skates, I'm okay. Ice skates, nope. It ain't my style. But I looked to the east, and the sky was getting lighter, and so I said, it must be time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Christmas decorations. Uh, Many people seem to, like, get them done very fast. I sort of do them in phases, you know, one time this area, one time that area. And then I, when I f- finally think, well, that's ad, you know, that's enough, then I stop. But I had some real disappointment this past week. I have one of those, or Tracy and I both have, one of those snowflake projection things I was going to shoot up on the front of the house. And the stupid thing doesn't work. But I put it up during the day when it's light, so I couldn't tell it wasn't working. But I was so disappointed, you know, getting the angle right. I thought everything was good. And then argh, it doesn't work. So now after I my walk and talk in Bridgeton, I'm going to head home and see what's wrong with that thing and see if I can make it so it works. But anyway, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. First call of the day is from Shiloh, Illinois. And Chuck, how are you today? Mike, good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Hey, Mike, I got a, uh, a nice fescue lawn, um, done everything you say, do the, the comp- composting, the, the aerating, the whole nine yards. So when it gets to be this time of year, though, and the UPS folks are coming in and delivering packages, sometimes they come after dark when it's cold. And uh, so now I got the permanent winter footprints in my, in my grass in the front yard. Um, is, is that going to cause, is that stuff going to come back? Yeah, it should not have, it shouldn't be that problematic. What it is, is that the grass blades are frozen because of the cold ice or whatever is on them. And if they step on them, they're probably just breaking the blades of the grass, but not damaging their crown. So it, unless they keep just walking back and forth, you know, in the exact same place, Time after time after time, that could be problematic from a couple different standpoints, from uh, soil compaction, from just their feet, and then also from like you you know you've pointed out, you can see where their footprints are because they're grass blades that are broken. So, but everything should be you know okay. But uh, you know who knows with the way the weather is and everything else, it's always a mystery when you go into dormancy slash winter time and then come out in the springtime and hope you know and hope everything will be okay okay yeah mike it's certainly not like a marching band across the front yard just a one or two deliveries in, in different spots so right i won't freak out then no don't definitely don't <laughs> all right thank you yeah certainly and now let's stay in illinois to save gas but head north and go to alton and mickey how are you today i'm good how are you very good I have um, two large um, 
Well, a large burning bush and a large uh, Japanese maple. Mm -hmm. Um, And my husband didn't know better, and he topped the Japanese maple a few years ago. Uh, But the trees are, you know, and it's huge and it's bushy, and the trunk's probably 8 to 10 inches. Both of them are. Um, And what... You know, outside of just pulling them out of the ground uh, because he feels like they're just way too big in the landscaping because they're right on either side of the sidewalk going out of the front door. Um, Can you cut them back drastically? I know it's during the winter you do this. And will it kill them, hurt them? You know, what's your recommendation? Well, basically, anything that's that mature, anytime you do anything drastic to it, you could really, I mean, there could be resulting major damage. And the reason, one of the reasons why is because the amount of branches slash twigs, ultimately leaves, you know, is equal to the amount of root system. So, in other words, the nutrients and moisture come up from the root system that goes up during the growing season, not during the wintertime, and... They send the nutrients and moisture to the leaves, and the leaves then use sunlight to make food, and then it shares the food with the entire plant. So if you reduce the number of leaves, then that could have a bad impact on the resulting you know, feeder roots down below the ground because they're not getting fed as they normally would be. So that would be sort of the disadvantage. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's an unfortunate thing. So many people don't plant for maturity, whether you planted these or not. It's you could cut them back, but uh, they may not you know return to any kind of quality aesthetically as you've enjoyed in the past. So what can I safely? They were put in by landscapers when the house was built, mm-hmm. um, and um, they just kind of exploded. Right. Um, what uh, what percentage can I cut them? Back safely. I would say no more than one one third would be the maximum I would personally cut back. Twenty five percent would be more so. And uh, with the Japanese maple, in reality, most of the maples really prefer to be pruned during the summertime versus the wintertime because even though they're not the classic maple trees or anything else, there's less sap Mm -hmm. flow and it's not a major thing. But uh, the burning bush can be pretty much pruned year round almost because they're so tough. But uh, okay. you could go ahead and prune them now during the dormancy if you want. And just uh, like I said, one-third would be the maximum I would take off. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Enjoy your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yeah, well, you know, the gentleman about the delivery, you know, going, walking across his lawn, we live in the, you know, the part of the city we live in, it's pretty hilly. And so all the houses have a lot of steps to get up to the, where the mailbox is. We don't, we don't have a lot, but we have a few. Uh, but some of the mailmen over the years, we've been there, you know, a little over 10 years now. You know, as we've talked to them and they've moved on to other routes and everything else, they said this is really kind of a rough route because of so many homes have steps. I mean, we're talking maybe 20 steps to get up to the, uh, you know, to the front porch and then a few more steps to go beyond that or whatever it happens to be. 
And so consequently, a lot of times the mailman to save, and I understand why, the physical effort will cut across, you know, in between the houses so they don't go down the steps and then go, you know, 20 feet down the street and then go back up some other steps. But uh, you can kind of definitely see where that's, you know, that foot, you know, that foot, let's say, traffic. And this is a daily thing. It's not like the gentleman was describing with these deliveries. It does do some damage to, you know, their, to their circumstance. So you just have to kind of be cautious and conscious of that. And that's, excuse me, one second. I had a cough. But uh, my lips are dry. But anyway, it's just, you know, that's, you know, that goes back to the same thing about uh, dogs running along fences. The soil gets so compacted, regardless of what you do, the coriation, the fertilizing, or anything else, it's, you know, it's just nothing that uh, you can really do too much about. And that's why you just got to kind of understand that the, these, this is a circumstance and reality. But uh, so if anybody does, you know, have any thoughts with the pruning just in general, you can prune things pretty much whenever you want. But uh, wintertime dormancy is, uh, you know, the best time except for beech trees, birch trees, and maple trees. They recommend summertime pruning, and that's just, you know, the arborist. But uh, realize, too, if you prune things that bloom in the springtime this time of year, you're, uh, you're eliminating, guess what, flowers for next year. It doesn't necessarily hurt the shrub or the tree. It just means you're going to have less flowering, and usually the things that flower in the springtime it's like the welcome to back to reality because you're getting a little bit of tired of just bare branches on deciduous trees or oak trees with the brown leaves and things along that line. So other things that you need to be doing when you're walking around your yard, don't walk in the same place, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, is the wintertime weeds. And uh, they can be ferocious as far as competing with your lawn circumstance. That is what really becomes very, very problematic is weeds are very tough. You can see them growing in very strange places, cracks in streets, along the alleyways, cracks in sidewalks and everything else. But they do like it when things are nicer. So, uh-oh. Oh, well, thank you. Whoa. Is that European water? If it's not European, I don't want it. There it is. Is it tap water? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Louis has like the best water in the country. And the lowest gasoline prices, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. I guess Greg said something to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Greg. And thanks to Brian for delivering. And do you need a tip? Yes. Okay. 20%. Okay. Do you take credit cards? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, the weed circumstance can just be, I mean, just extremely vicious. And, uh, you know, as I've said plenty of times, I'm sure you've heard it more and more and more, that there's two different series of weeds. And then one of them is a cool season weed. And that's the ones that are really prolific right now as far as they're not flowering quite yet. But, I mean, their growth, their foliage and everything else really looks great. And they had bloomed back in August. And then the warm season weeds, they're the ones that bloom when the, or they start germinating, the seeds start germinating when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So, I mean, it's just we kind of forget that there are two different series of, you know, plant situations when it comes to the weeds in not just lawns, but in ground covers, too. We've had a couple calls recently related to deer. 
And last week, the ladies, you know, suggested to keep deer from, let's say, marking their territory. Uh, I had always said Irish spring soap, but she recommended using aluminum pie pans and hanging those from some of the branches. I guess the clanging and the shininess and everything else makes it so it's really quite um, unappealing for the male deer to come over and rub. And what they're trying to do is just like, you know, mark their territory and say, this, you better stay out of here to the other male deer. But uh, there are certain plants that are, let's say, less appealing to deer. Severe winter, it doesn't really matter. But one of the plants that's less appealing from a woody standpoint is the gold thread branch cypress, the oak leaf hydrangea, the hawthorns. You can kind of understand the hawthorn because of the thorns on it. But ginkgo trees, even the junipers, uh, Rosa Sharon, blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, and uh, vitex. You don't know what vitex is? Well, I'm not going to tell you. V-I-T-E-X. But uh, also perennials and ground covers and things like that. The sedums, the vinca minor, which is a blue flowering evergreen ground cover, and creeping flocks. Those are some that are really much more, let's say, appealing to the deer. So we all know which the deer really like if you live in a shaded area, and usually that's where the deer are going to be living, is a situation or a circumstance where you have hosta. And they usually have a tendency to eat the hosta, but a lot of times they don't, do not eat the ferns. So um, you just you never know. In a severe winter, they're going after moisture as much as anything by chewing on the plant materials. So anyway, but uh, they can't eat hosta in the wintertime because the hosta have disappeared. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know how many people actually get the live Christmas trees, so in other words, the ones with the root ball and everything else. It used to be pretty popular, but I think the popularity is kind of diminished to a certain point. But I'm not actually sure. But when you get a live tree, so it has the root ball and everything else, you really can only keep them in the house for a few days. And that's kind of the problem because they're heavy, of course, depending upon how big you bought. And uh, keeping them in a few days, that means you got to get them decorated and everything else. And then you got to transition them back outside. So you have to transition them inside to where the heat is and then back outside. The cut trees, uh, I see quite a few people with uh, trees on the top of their cars, which is a little surprising because it is still a little bit early. But uh, if you do decide to get a cut tree, make sure that when you get it home, you do or have the people right when you're buying the tree to see if they would cut you know, an inch or so off the bottom of the trunk. And that will, and I would personally, if I was going to do it, I'd take a plastic bag and maybe some rubber bands or cable ties or something. And if they do cut it where the, in the place you buy it, you know, take some wet paper towels and just put it on the end of the, you know, the new cut and put a plastic bag around it just to keep it, you know, nice and moist and everything else because it could make a difference on how well it's going to do. And when we were, uh, before I went on air, I saw one of these things where, these Christmas trees, you know, live trees that have been cut, you know, catch on fire. Personally, I don't know of any circumstance where one of those things has actually happened. But every year we seem to get this warning about, you know, watch out for your tree so it doesn't, you know, catch fire. And it just seems like totally, you know, kind of insane that uh, there would be some circumstance or something that actually could catch a tree on fire. 
And I'm sure it does and has happened in the past, but it's just not, you know, a normal type thing. In your own yard with the zoysia, your zoysia should be completely tan. And if you see green in your zoysia, that means you've got some kind of weeds. And whether it's annual bluegrass or whatever it happens to be, you just you don't know until you get out there and take a look. So if anything green, whether it's a broadleaf or a narrow-bladed one, you can't really do too much this time of year. Herbicides are completely ineffective, so I wouldn't even bother. We're almost to the point where even fertilizers on a cool-season lawn, like on your fescues or bluegrasses, uh, winterizer-type fertilizer, it's almost getting too late to put it down. It's not to say it's going to hurt, but it's just not going to help all that much. And But this is the time of year to get some soil tests done. So get a soil test sample from, like, your lawn area. Get a sample from, like, your vegetable garden, your perennial garden area, whether it's and a separate one for your sun perennials and a separate one for your shade perennials to find out what's going on in the soil. So consequently... That's the way to make, you know, could save you mental and real money as, you know, as far as far as anything else. So we had a call. Oh, I thought maybe somebody was calling in a, you know, with a comment about something I just said. But anyway, so just watch out for that. And you're in. It seems kind of nuts when it's this cold. You're probably not going to get out and do it. But just watch out with your cool season lawns with your fescues and bluegrasses that the blades do not get too you know, elongated because again, the winter fungus circumstance, which, you know, it does, it's not deadly to the lawn grasses, but what it does is it makes it so they're a little bit weaker. And then when we get around to the summertime, when the real fungus problem, you know, happens, that's kind of what you're looking at. They're going to be weak. And then consequently, the summer fungus can really be to the disadvantage. And uh, the inflatables, a lot of people have them. I really enjoy looking at them, but uh, just know that where those inf- inflatables, when they deflate after the timer or whatever goes off and they lay there for six or eight or nine or 10 or 12 hours before they inflate again, that's, it's pretty humid in that spot, and that could cause a weakening of your grass, your lawn there, and that could be you know sort of like the first step to kind of going downhill. There's a gentleman that lives around, you know, on Federer around the corner from where we do, and he puts a lot of things in his lawn, and it, it's really nice looking. I, you know, I completely and thoroughly enjoy it. But he was one day, I guess probably a couple months ago, I was walking by, and he says, "Why does my lawn look so bad?" And I want, <laughs> I didn't do it, but I wanted to say, well, you know how much stuff you put out in your yard that could have an impact on your grass, and so consequently, that's why. It's all spurge and it's all these weeds in there, and you really don't have any grass there at all. So, and then in his backyard, of course, he's got, uh, you know, it's two dogs and then basically no grass along the spots where the dogs run, where it's, you know, as I've said before. But uh, there's lots of different things going on in the outdoors. And just, you know, like I said, if any advice I could give on anything, would be to get some soil tests done. It's like, you know, finding out what there is in the ground. And then consequently, you can make decisions related to that and then save yourself, like I said, real money and mental money both And rather than just trying to guess on what's going on. Let's go back to Illinois and Mount Olive, and that's where Dorothy lives. Hi, Dorothy. Hello? Hello. Dorothy? Good morning. Hi. Good morning. 
enjoy your show also. I have uh, two trees, a pin oak. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. And a sweet gum. And they're about 30 years old or quite quite tall. And I wonder if uh, they could be trimmed now. Certainly, you could. I mean, you could trim them. Get the dead wood out. You know the branches. I don't know what you want to do with as far as pruning, pruning. But I wouldn't certainly stub them back to just you know just say, kind of look like a, you know, a kind of a fake tree or look like your fingers. You don't want to prune them back to that severe point. But yeah, I mean they could certainly be pruned this time of year. Well, that's what I mainly wondered if they could be like cut the, all the dead stuff out and. Yeah, the, the dead stuff, and then some of the branches can be cut. If you want to have some of the lower branches removed because they're not doing as well, they're not as you know as healthy as a growth up higher. This is called limbing up. You could that could certainly be done, and you know I'm sure you're going to get some a professional arborist to do this and make sure they have insurance, and then consequently longer branches should be cut off in sections, you know one third at a time with a final cut only leaving about. Uh, trees the size of yours, probably a half-inch stub, so that could heal over. Well, thank you for the information. Well, certainly. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling and having me on your show. Now let's go from Mount Olive, Illinois, out to Chesterfield. John, how are you today? Oh, pretty good. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, I, are, is there such a thing as a wormicide? The moles <laughs> are going crazy in my planter beds. If they're out in the grass, I know how to get them there. But I can't get them out of the planting beds without... Screwing up the, the flowers. Well, if you have self-seeding flowers, you know, worms are, you know, important, but the main food for, uh, you know, the grubs are the worms. And, the, you know, what that means is if you have a lot of worms, consequently you have pretty good garden space. So, no, there is not a worm aside, something you can put under your soil that will actually get rid of the worms. So it's, I mean, it's just kind of a difficult, you know, it's a difficult circumstance. You've got a great yard or else you wouldn't have so many worms. The moles <laughs> realize this and what they can do is they're s- sort of drawn by the sound of the, you know, worms crawling in through the soil. That's how they're drawn to certain, you know, pathways and everything else. Hey, can I put in a plug for the uh, Tuba Christmas? It's going to be at the Galleria at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Sure. Okay, I just did. <laughs> now, is this tuba, T-U-B-A? Yes, uh, it's about 100, somewhere between 100 and 200 tubas and euphoniums will be playing Christmas carols at, at the uh, Galleria at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Wow, <laughs> that sounds totally wild. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thanks, John. Okay. <laughs> tubas, I love it. <laughs> And now let's you know let's go into Glendale and into Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for your show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. I was calling to give some tips on uh, root bald live Christmas trees. I did it for years, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you you can actually get more than just a few days out of it if you do it correctly. Ah, you, you start by uh, you know first you have to. Prep your hole. That's the main thing. Put the dirt in the wheelbarrow. Get the soil all prepped out. Keep that warm in the garage. Right. In the wheelbarrow, maybe two. And and then uh, when you, when it's time for the uh, to bring the Christmas tree home, you start by putting it in the garage for about two to three days. 
Then you acclimate it into the basement for two or three days. Then you can bring it in and decorate it. Uh, you could have it set up for seven to ten days. And then you reverse the process. You go from indoors where you've had it all decorated. You take it back down to the basement for two or three days, into the garage for about two or three days. And then it wouldn't hurt to keep it there for maybe four days. And then you get it outside to the cold weather. But the, the key point is, you know, pines do well. Norway spruces do well. Um, as far as the blue spruces, uh, that's kind of our area doesn't, they don't survive very well. Right. But, but and when you go to put it back in the ground, uh, just make sure that the top of that root ball is about three or four inches high. Pick a good higher spot because the spruces and the pines, they don't like a, a wet soil. And, you know, you mulch it really good. And, you know, you can get seven to ten days indoors with the Christmas tree lights. And I had a whole yard full of them, you know, whole, until my last son was born. He had allergies, so we went to the artificial. Ah. That's, that's how you do it, and it's, it's great. You can get more than just a couple of days inside. Well, I'm sure you have huge biceps because, I mean, to move the trees... Even if it's a relatively small tree, as much as you're talking about down the steps into the basement or whatever, and then back out into the garage, and that's a lot of work. Oh, it's a lot of work. You know, it doesn't hurt to have like uh, one of those furniture moving dollies or a regular. That's dolly true. And, and and a couple extra hands. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for the insight. You know, we yeah. you know, growing up in Ellisville, the Harmons who lived across the street, they they had the live trees. For, you know. For multiple years, and they ended up with like almost a pine forest around their house. It was We lived on Maple Lane, so we had a lot of maple trees, but they had one side yard that was just, you know, one tree after the other that was, you know, Christmas tree one year and then the following year and the following year. So it sounds like you had this kind of a similar circumstance until your son was allergic to it. Yeah, yes, exactly. And uh, what you're talking about your neighbor, that's quite an iconic establishment. I'm sure they're proud of it. Right. Exactly. So, hey, well, thanks for your show. I appreciate it. Just thought I'd give you those tips. Well, thanks. That's, I certainly appreciate the insight. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, What's Up With That? 8 to 10 Monday nights on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments? Let me think. What are those numbers? Oh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Cornelius lives in St. Louis. Hi, Cornelius. Good morning, Mike. Hey, I've got a question about uh, how to break down leaves. I've got a about a three-quarter of an acre lot that my house sits on, and I've got some pin oak trees, probably 10, that are 50 years old or more. Mm-hmm. So I generate a lot of leaves. Most of them I put in a pile. I chop them up with my lawnmower, right. put in a pile, and I let them do whatever they want to do over the winter time. So what's the best way to break those leaves down so that they're ready to do something with come spring? Basically, you're, them this time of year? Yeah, you're doing everything pretty much right. The only thing I might consider 
in this whole thing is like every six or eight inches of piled up leaves, get some compost and sprinkle some compost before you put more on top of it. And then during the wintertime, if you can, I don't know how big the piles are, but if you have three quarters of an acre with these large trees, they're probably pretty big. But, you know, go out there and just take like a, you know, a digging fork or some kind of fork and just, you know, kind of turn the pile a little bit. So in other words, you keep things churning and that's all you really need to do. Put some compost every, you know, let's say every six, eight, 10, 12 inches or so. That just kind of helps accelerate the breakdown process. And then, you know, turn the pile if you can. Okay. How thick should the compost be? Uh, really, you don't need a whole lot. So maybe a, uh, probably an inch would be the maximum. Okay. And uh, let's see, what else? And so come spring, how, how broken down, how much toyed, uh compost should that pile be? It's not going to be compost. It's going to okay. be something what? called leaf mold, M-O-L-D. But leaf okay. mold is like what the botanical garden, they have huge piles of leaves at the botanical garden. And what they did is they piled them up. They didn't at that time, I don't think, you know, from what I when I was working there, I don't think we put any compost in that. That's something that's kind of come out over these last few years, just kind of accelerated. But then we would take big backhoes and, uh, you know, front loaders and just turn the piles. And the city of St. Louis does the same thing. I don't know if they turn their piles or not. But then the mulch is going to be leaf mold, M-O-L-D. Even though it sounds mold, it's not bad mold. Okay. And what can I do with the leaf mold? Then you can spread it around. Your, just use it like a regular mulch if you want to. Okay. So in other uh, words, around perennial plants and material like that, you can do it around woody plants. What I did is when I worked at the Botanical Garden in the English Woodland Garden, I would just take the leaf mold, you know, bring bucket loads up, you know, dump it, and I'd spread it over the entire Woodland Garden. Okay, very good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Certainly. Appreciate the show. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Linda lives in St. Louis. Hi, Linda. Um, Mike, you were wondering earlier how Christmas trees can cause fires. In previous generations, they would decorate their live Christmas trees with lit candles. Right. <laughs> and it caused, you know, houses to be burnt down. I'm sure it did. Okay. I wanted to tell you. Okay. Well, thanks. Okay. Yeah, I just saw something on, you know, on TV while we were, I was sitting here waiting to go on air, and they had the trees were modern-day trees with electric lighting. And I thought, then they said, well, you got to inspect the lighting and all, or the wiring and all that other stuff. But anyway, Sammy lives in Edwardsville. Sammy, could you do it kind of quick? Yes, um, I have two questions. There's a pecan tree in my backyard, and I was wondering if it was too late to fertilize it. Uh, basically, what you're doing is fertilizing the soil. So, in other words, you're augering holes and backfilling the holes with compost. You're not, you know, putting fertilizer like tree stakes or anything like that. That's not all that beneficial. Okay. Um, so, my second question was. Should pecan trees have a consistent crop each year, or is it going to fluctuate? No, it's going to fluctuate. There's no getting okay. around it. All right. Uh, <laughs> all the questions. All right, great. Yeah, the, uh, you know, feeding the roots with this you know, process is always to the advantage. What you're doing is you're actually feeding the soil. Then the trees will be fed by the soil. Putting fertilizer, you know, and stakes and stuff like that really does not help at all. I mean, I shouldn't say it doesn't help at all, but it doesn't help much. So what you do is you go out one-third of the distance from the trunk to the extension of the branches. You auger holes 
about six inches deep with an electric drill and an earth auger. Backfill those holes with compost. You only, And then you move over two feet and you do concentric circles all the way around with the holes being two feet apart in the circle. And then also the next, let's say, ring would be two feet out from the existing ring. And you want to do this every couple of years. And again, you're feeding the soil. You're making the soil enriched in the plant material, Whatever you, you, whatever type of tree is going to be much healthier as a result of that. So, the fertilizing that's great, that's wonderful. But if you really want to do things correctly, you feed your soil and let your soil take care of the tree, as opposed to just trying to give it a quickie. But uh, if you have questions or concerns, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. I will see you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, Mr. Kelly, before you get out of the here and yes, studio, sir. is this Studio B? Studio this B. Is studio B. And out into the newsroom. Yes. Uh, do you do holiday holiday decorations outside your house or you just do it inside or you do either? A little bit of both. Not a whole lot of either. I, I've got a blow up Snoopy. Like he's on his house with, uh, you know, Woodstock. Yeah. And I put that up the other day. And it's kind of sad because Snoopy's kind of like sleeping the whole time. (laughs) Instead of sitting up, he's (laughs) laying back, which he does. Right. You know. Exactly. But, it, you know, so I got to work on that a little bit. And we might put a tree up. We're not sure yet. We might put one outside, like on our screen and porch. Sure. We did last year, and it was all blue stuff, so we'll probably do that. Ah. One with blue stuff all over it. So, yeah, you know, without kids, it's kind of like, yeah, if we feel like it, we will. Oh, great. Yeah. Do you? Uh, yes. How many trees? Uh, we basically have a metallic tree. Oh, yeah? So, in other words, we like were... the silver ones? Yes. And then you put that colored light that goes around in front of it? Well, no, we don't do oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> we were in California, you know, on a vacation, mm-hmm. and at this hotel, they had these chrome trees. Wow. So they're not very, it's not very tall. It's only about four feet high. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have for Christmas trees. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Kind of modern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of modern in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm old, man. Oh, I graduated man. from high school in 67. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You are old. Absolutely. Experienced, we'll call you. Yes. Well, thanks, Brian. You bet. And folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, and you can get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show, and uh, we can talk about plant selection. We can talk about uh, those annuals. I was walking by the other uh, house the other day, and they still have some mums. And the mums, you know, have pretty much kind of gone downhill. But there's, I mean, they're laying down, but the f- yellow flowers still look pretty darn good on them. So, wow, I was a little bit surprised about that. But uh, bulbs, how about those spring flowering bulbs? Oops, uh, forgot to plant those. Uh, getting them in the ground, yes, you could certainly do that. But uh, whether they're going to be able to get well-established enough to do some flowering in the springtime, that's kind of, could be possibly iffy. It's going to be all determined by the weather. But what you can do with your spring flowering bulbs uh, is force them, force them into bloom. So in other words, take your tulips and your daffodils and put them in pots and then, 
you know, give him the cold treatment out in the garage for six or eight or 10 weeks, then bring him inside and take it all, you know, go that way. Also, if you'd like to go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, I have a whole list of plants, bulbs that you can actually get and have some flowering this time of year. So in other words, your Christmas cactus is kind of always out of sequence or your poinsettia is always out of sequence. But there are, you know, there's a type of daffodil called paper white narcissus, which are very easy to grow. You don't have to do anything, but you can go to all kinds of garden centers and they're going to have all kinds of bulbs that are ready to go. Some are pre-planted, some, you know, some like amaryllis, some like hyacinth bulbs. And it's really, really easy. And a lot of them come in kits, so they got everything there for you. How about your ground covers, your house plants? your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or your water gardens. Make sure that even if you don't have fish in your water gardens, that you put a net over it just so you keep a lot of the leaf debris from getting in there because it's going to be easier to keep it out than it will be next year to clean your pool out, you know, clean your pool with all the debris that got in there. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but uh, it's an option for you to consider. Greg's still here producing, and uh, it's always a pleasure for him and I to be a team together because I think we work very well. And uh, during the week, I do, and the weekend sometimes, a landscape consulting, which I call a walk-and-talk. If you'd like to give a walk-and-talk to somebody for a gift, then you, I, I have a gift certificate. I can email you. But you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. Where, that's my email address and phone number. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll page is actually a monthly update I do for every month You know, on things that are just kind of let's say, tweaked for this particular year as opposed to just kind of saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I'll share what I do during the walk and talks. I share 40 years plus experience on your outdoors. And uh, Bridgeton is where I'm headed after the show today. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Speaking of the Good Gardening Stroll, uh, this morning you probably heard me, I was walking in City Park and uh, City Park, or is it City Garden? Hmm. You're going to have to find out yourself. But anyway, the Salvation Army Tree of Lights. Every year it's been there from even back when I, I don't think that area is called Keener Plaza anymore, but even way back as far as I can remember. But related to the Salvation Army, all the people that stand out in front of the stores and various locations and act as bell ringers, you know, to raise money for the Salvation Army. A tip of the trial goes out to them because I know that is a tough circumstance to stand pretty much in the same place, you know, and greet everybody that came in and everything else and, uh, uh, so a tip of the trial goes out to the Salvation Army bell ringers, and also a tip of the trial goes out to Doug Walters. Doug Walters works for the County Parks Department, and he sent me this uh, holiday greeting type thing, and he wants uh, me to remember that all the Master Gardeners and volunteers, they really do a lot of great stuff throughout the metropolitan area. So Doug Walters of the St. Louis County Parks Department and all the volunteers and the Master Gardeners, that do so much to keep our metropolitan area looking good. So tip of the trial goes out to all those folks today. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Sharon from Baldwin, how are you today? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Hello? Yes, go ahead. 
Okay. Um, I know you cover this topic almost on a weekly basis. A lady called in about a week before um, Thanksgiving uh, talking about pruning knockout roses, and you told her it was a couple weeks too early. Right. Is it now too late? No, no, no. It's not too late. Okay. You don't have to prune them. You can wait. But, uh, you know, generally people like to prune them because, you know, that's sort of, I guess, tradition as much as anything. Oh, mine is just so huge and it's getting spindly. <laughs> and so I thought I'd cut it back to make it look, you know, nice and full and lush. But as long as it's okay to do it, I'm going out there to chop that sucker. <laughs> it's kind of cold. But what I've done this year is I've been growing my knockout roses in pots. And one of them got uh, spider mites this past year, and so it got rose rosette, so I threw that one away. But anyway, the other three, two of them I've already pruned back, and I've, I've moved them in the garage this past week or so. But one of them I'm leaving. I'm not going to prune it at all. It's still in the pot. I have it on the north side of my house. I'm just going to, you know, I experiment around with plant material so I can see what's going to happen if somebody calls about it. But it's in the pot. It's probably like maybe four feet high, four feet wide, so it's round. I just want to see how well it's going to do as far as surviving in a pot with not being pruned or anything else for the wintertime. Okay, well, mine's, mine's planted in the ground. Right, that's fine. Oh. Okay. I'm probably right. one of the few people that grow them in pots. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice that somebody does so we can see what, what happens. Right, exactly. Experiment. So, okay, well, thank you so much, Mike. Yep, thanks, Sharon. And uh, let's see if we can get another call in. Let's go up to Florissant and into Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Hey, good morning. How are you? Very good. Good. i got a question for you. As a youngster, my brother and I used to uh, climb my grandmother's Bing cherry tree many enjoyable years. So I thought I'd relive the, uh, the memories. About 10 years ago, I planted a, a, a Bing cherry tree. <laughs> Never got any cherries out of it. Now these last couple of years, it, uh, I've had a couple of cherries start off at the beginning of the season. I figure this is my year, but then they dry up and they go away. Nothing ever. I'm just curious what I'm doing wrong. I think it's just not a great tree for this region. Is basically what it is. Even if your grandmother and she lived here close to wherever you are, you on Florissant and everything else, she had luck with it. For the most part, you're not going to see that many Bing cherry trees successfully growing, producing fruit or anything else. Well, that, you just dashed my hopes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the information. Yeah, sorry. But, uh, I mean, that's the case. And also, for anybody that likes to grow fruit trees, you know, if you get a dwarf tree, you could expect to, you know, start getting some substantial fruit after about five to six years. Semi-dwarf, you had another couple years. Then a standard-sized tree, it could be, you know, 10 years plus before they start producing. So, um, you know, maybe you'll get lucky. Yeah, if I'm on 10 years, maybe I'll, I'll just sit in front of that tree next year and see if anything happens. Right. Good luck. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Do you have your tickets yet for the KMOX Holiday Radio Show? It's an unbelievable night of entertainment as your favorite KMOX personalities perform live on stage. Ask your mother. It all happens Monday, December 17th in the Sheldon Concert Hall. Tickets are on sale now and going fast. Get yours now at KMOX.com slash holiday. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Richard lives in the city of St. Louis. Richard, welcome to the show. Good morning, morning. 
Um, I have a question which uh, the answer to which may be the same as uh, the last guy you talked to about the trees. But I have a couple magnolia trees in the front of my house. They're 15 to 20 years old. They both have flowered in the past. Neither of them flower now. Uh, you know, magnolia flowers are these beautiful white, lemony, uh, oh, they're just a gorgeous flower, but they don't flower at all. And I was wondering why. Is this an evergreen variety? Yes. So uh, are you pruning it? Yes. So you might be cutting off the flower buds. I don't think so, but, uh, you know, I've, I've pruned back the branches. They seem to flower at one time in the spring and summer. Well, uh, usually the evergreen the, ones flower more so later in the late spring and the summertime as opposed to early spring. That's when, like, the saucer magnolia and the star magnolia flower. So the evergreen ones, you know, I mean, you, like I said, it, physically something had to do, you know, remove the flower buds because if, historically if they've flowered and then consequently they're not flowering at all, something's, you know, getting rid of the flower buds. I would say don't prune it for a couple years, either one of them. So I may be pruning off the buds. Exactly. Okay, I'll give that a try. And nothing with fertilizer, huh? Uh, it has nothing to do related to that. If the foliage looks good, the trees look healthy and everything else, then you know, they're probably fine. Okay, I'll give it a try. All Thank right, you. great. Yeah, the evergreen magnolias, uh, you know, they are spectacular and everything else. So <laughs> consequently, uh, it has to be something to physically remove the flower buds. So, and that's basically the only way, unless we have a severe winter, sometimes the tip of the branches can, you know, be damaged as a result of that. But we haven't really had that kind of severe winter. So thanks, okay. Richard. And now let's go out to Winsville and into George's yard. Hi, George. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a tree problem like other people. I have some autumn blaze that are about 10 years old, and what I've noticed is that a lot of the big roots are are close to the top of the soil. Right. So, so when the grass gets mowed, sometimes they get nicked. My question is, do I basically bring in more soil and resod those areas so that they can be protected, or is it, well, you know, okay to, to go that way? Uh Basically, maple trees are surface-rooted, and with our clay soils, it makes them even more surface-rooted, and you're never going to get grass to grow up you know, up to the trunks of maple trees regardless of what you do. And bringing in soil and piling it up on the root system, that means something's going to be up on the trunk. That's not a good thing because the soil's not going to stay there. The sod's not going to survive there. So you're kind of in a circumstance where... The areas where the roots are, I don't know how far out they go, is you know, either just put mulch or use some shade perennials or something along that line. Yeah, good, good point. Uh, so basically, like today, it's very cold. The, the freezing temperatures do, do not bother them uh, in terms of cause, causing harm uh, you know, down the road. You mean to the root systems? Yes. The no, root no, system. they don't. The, basically, the main part, as long as, you know, I mean, if you hit them with a mower and stuff, that's not the ideal thing to do, but uh, it's not ideal for your mower either. But so consequently, it's not really helping or hurting, you know, the tree roots all that much. Yeah, no, I, I basically uh, set it higher and don't cut cut as low and, and, and those areas. You're right. Uh, grass is tough to get going, but uh, it's, it's working out for me. It's not totally shaded. Right. And... And uh, 
But you're saying, okay, as far as, you know, passing on disease or, or hurting the trees, yeah, they're massive roots. They spread in all directions. You aren't kidding. Yeah, you read about the clay soil. Uh, it, it's tough to burrow down. And, um, uh, well, okay, you help me basically say leave them alone. Yeah. Just don't, just don't injure them. Right. I mean, you know, you can grow an evergreen ground cover like ivy or something like that, periwinkle underneath it, or you can grow some of the herbaceous perennials. But uh, for the most part, you're going to have surface roots regardless of what you do with almost all the maple trees. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, they go for the water where the water is the most abundant. And and, uh, and they just yeah. sprawl. I mean, it's just like you got to almost have equal amount of stuff below the ground as there is up in the tree. In other words, biomass. Or else right. a tree yeah. would be top-heavy and fall over. So they're anchoring. Right. They're taking up nutrients. They're doing all kinds of things besides just... You know, they're not heading in any one direction. They're heading in all directions. Absolutely. That's what's, what's happening. I just thought, whoa, these things are too close to the top. I got to put something out to protect them. But you say, no, it's just, it's just the way the circumstances are. Right. So either mulch or ground cover or just let them be as they are. So thanks, I George. Did, sir. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Ed in South County. Hi, Ed. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of hembit. Uh, in my backyard, and I, we've tried to get rid of it, and it it's not going away. Uh, what can what's the best time of year to get rid of it, and what should we use on it? Basically, putting a pre-emergent down on your lawn or wherever the hen bit is uh, in mid to late August. That's the best thing to do because this is one of those annual cool season weeds, so it's going to grow all through the winter time. The lead, you know, it's going to stay green, and then as we come out of, you know, past the first of the year, it'll they'll start flowering, and this flowering is going to drop seeds, and then when the weather gets warm, the mother plants that dropped all those seeds, or father plant, who knows what, but anyway, they die off, but the seeds are laying there, and then they won't germinate again until mid to late August of the following of that, you know, that year. Okay, is that pre-emergent? Is that a dry uh, mix or a wet mix? Uh, for the most part, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just so you get the pre-emergent down on, t you know, in time. Usually, it's they're going to be uh, dry that you water in. So, you what you do okay. with a pre-emergent, you create more or less a chemical barrier on the surface of the ground, and this chemical barrier actually kills the seed as it germinates. So that's what you know it happens, or that's what happens. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, and I mean, there's you know there's there's a product called Preen, and that's for as a pre-emergent for planted bed space for perennials and that type of thing. And then there are all kinds of different types of pre-emergents for your lawn areas. All right, I'm, I'll try it. Thank all right, you. in August. Yeah, Thanks. mid to late August. It's all weather dependent, but. Don't get it down too early, but don't get it down too late because some of the seeds may have already germinated. So pre-emergence only kills seeds as they're germinating, not seeds that have already germinated and are actually actively growing. And early in this, you know, right, let's say just after germination, you're, it's going to be hard to see them. But a lot of times if they're really young, the pre-emergent will kill the really young, you know, let's say small germinated seed. But once... Uh, they get uh, you know, a month old, then the pre-emergent is not going to do a thing. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. But they don't all, again, they don't all germinate at the same time. So, but yeah, just get the pre-emergent down in mid to late August. So thanks, Ed. 
And now let's see. Should we take another call? Let's go to Mike in St. Louis. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Of course, you always add questions as you hear people ask questions. But I was calling for I just planted two arborvitaes two weeks ago. Uh, And they're the giant ones. They're going to get big. We're using them for privacy. Mm -hmm. But after I planted them, and I I bought them from over there on uh, Doherty Ferry Road uh, and. you know where I'm talking about, Sherwood. Right. Uh, so they're good trees to start off with. But after I planted them, I followed directions. I, you know, I talked to Bill out there, and then I looked at the video on how to plant these. And so I did everything by the book, cutting the roots, all this and that. And now I've noticed, and I watered them well. Now I've noticed they're starting to get a little brown around the edges uh, towards the tops of the trees. They're about six, seven foot tall right now. Uh, do I have any concerns here? Probably not. I'm a little curious why they would tell you to prune the roots unless they were in pots and they were so pot bound, you know, because that's, you know, that's not something. No, they just told me not prune, just like the cut on the edges. Oh, okay. So that's fine. Probably what yeah. it is, is even though you've done everything just right and still the, the feeder roots, which uptake the moisture, probably are not established enough to start absorbing the moisture, even if you watered them, even if it's rained and everything else. So consequently, uh-huh. you're probably getting some winter burn, even though, it, you know, with some of these winds, these cold winds that we've had. So as long as it's okay. just the very tips of the, let's say, the fronds or the needles or whatever, then you should be fine. Okay. And then the guy who called about the maple tree and you explained about the root system and our clay soils and that. Right. So I'm assuming that my neighbor, and nothing against my neighbor, uh, it's only been there for 30 years, I've been trying desperately to grow grass by overseeding, you know, every year and things like that. Uh, and I get the grass, but then it wears out and it thins out again, gets right. bald spots again. So I imagine that's due to his maple tree. It I, certainly I could understand. be. Even if you okay. don't see the roots right on the surface, the feeder roots are really at the ends of the branches. And the end of the uh-huh. branches, you know, are they go out as far as the branches do. So that's yeah, where... Well, that's my yard. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, do I have that same problem with the magnolia tree? Do they do the same kind of root system? Magnolias do not, no. They're more fibrous okay. roots, and they have a tendency to stay closer in. Okay. All right, uh, super. That, those were my questions. Thank you very much. Okay? Great. Well, thanks for uh-huh. calling. And why don't we take a break? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hi, Christmas lovers. It's me, Moxie the Elf again. And the Great Christmas Character Challenge continues with round three. We're down to the final eight. Who do you think is the best Christmas character of all time? It's up to you to decide. Vote now. Vote often. The Great KMOX Christmas Character Challenge. Pick your favorite now at KMOX.com slash challenge. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed back to Illinois into Fairview Heights. Barbara, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Very good. Okay. I have a question about um, my lawn service. Last year, um, they were doing a spring. I believe it was the, you know, the, the fall treatment. My husband was home. I wasn't. And they recommended putting lime on the lawn. So they did. Um, I know there was no testing of the soil um, you know, to see if lime was needed. But what they have done is they have added it to the service for this upcoming year. 
Um, you know, it's the six treatments that you get throughout the, you know, growing season of your lawn. And I was just wondering, is that something that I should do each year or should it be, t- should the lawn be, t- uh, you know, the soil be tested before the lime is put on? You should have the soil tested because a high alkaline soil, lawn just in general, and this is where people kind of, I don't know how this whole idea got, you know, started that. Lawn does better when it has, let's say, an alkaline, limey soil. But really, lawn likes a soil slightly acidic. So any place between, let's say, 7, which is neutral, down to about 6.8, which is slightly you know, acidic or even a little bit lower. So when you get above 7, then it becomes problematic. So it doesn't help, you know, it doesn't help at all. Now, maybe, okay. you know, the area in Fairview Heights you live historically is, has a very acidic soil. So that's why this lawn service is doing it. But to me, it does not make sense without a test. Okay. All right. I'm, and I knew, I'm, I was almost positive you were going to say that. If you have time, I have one more question about sure. my Christmas cactus. I have a very healthy plant. It is, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a bright green. It's full. I never get a bloom. Is there anything I can do to get my Christmas cactus to bloom? Uh, no, not really. Well, you could. Do, are you fertilizing at all? No. Okay. I would go to your favorite garden center and get some fertilizer for cactus plants and maybe give that a shot. Or if you can't, okay. they don't have any cactus, the same fertilizer you can use for orchids could be used for the Christmas cactus, too, because they're kind of oh, from the okay. same part of the world. Okay, and just follow the directions on the fertilizer? Right, exactly. Follow the directions. Okay, all right, I will give that a try. Thank yeah, you. and during the wintertime, uh, you know, because they're not, if they were in bloom, I would say use, the, you know, let's say the normal amount that the label says on the fertilizer. But if they're not in flower, just do, you know, during the non, let's say when they're not in flower, do about half the label rate. So if it says, a, you know, this amount, cut it in half. Okay. And fertilize year-round with those. Year-round. Yeah. Okay, I will give it a try. Okay, great. And now let's go to Pearl, and she lives in North County. Hi, Pearl. Hi. Oh, good morning. Good morning. A long-time listener. Yeah, I have a question about uh, my yard. Uh, the ground hose is about 75 holes in the yard, and... Uh, they say they uh, moles, but I don't know what to do for them. I uh, had them to put some uh, stuff down in the early spring, but seems like it hasn't did no good. So now, how do you, are the now are these mounds of dirt or are these holes that you Little can actually mounds of dirt? They're yeah. real soft when you step on. Yeah, so you could have moles. That means you have a nice yard. So I mean. There's really not too much you can do. I mean, it takes professional services almost, but the most effective way to get rid of moles is using traps. And the traps are, you know, if you have any pets or anything like that, they're somewhat dangerous because they spear and stab or choke. Yeah, I don't have no no pets. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, getting mole traps would be probably the only way to get rid of them. So, in other words, but you do have a nice yard because... The moles are only there because there's earthworms. And earthworms, you know, are only in good yards. They're not in, but let's say, bad yards. Mm-hmm. In other words, poor soil yards. So consequently, 
you know, the moles are there because they hear the earthworms crawling and that's what they're going after. And the earthworms are about 60 to 75% of their diet. So that's why you have so many mole, let's say, puffed up areas. Oh, okay. And the reason why there's a, those little mounds of dirt is moles have two different tunnels. They have one on the surface. That's the feeding tunnel. That's where they go along and you know find the earthworms and eat. Then they have a tunnel that goes below that, and that's a tunnel that they use. They eat for a couple hours, then they go back to, and go to sleep. So yeah, because uh, I have those big flower pots in the yard, and they even went up on them have one side. <laughs> but i mean these lower tunnels that's why they're about a foot down so the moles they can't just raise a surface uh you know soil up like they do for the feeder tunnels so they have to push the dirt up to the surface to build the the tunnels that go back to where they go to sleep Mm -hmm. and you say i can get professionals to put traps out yes yeah where would i where where would i go or what I would say go to your favorite garden center and see if they know a landscape service, you know, that would actually, you know, be able to install the traps for you. And the traps should be moved fairly frequently. Oh, okay. Okay, I thought it was something I could put out. I post some ammonia down there about 13, 13 holes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that probably just means they won't go, you know. That soil is, you know, pushed up, so mm-hmm. it's if it's going to get down into the tunnel, their let's say their highway tunnel to go back to go to bed, it probably doesn't have all that much effect. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yep, and yeah, you know, moles are really, really difficult. They're tough to control, and like I said, moles are only in nice yards as far as the soil goes and everything else because. Poor soils don't have earthworms, so moles would have no reason to go into them. So let's go now to South City. And, Rick, how are you today? Hi, Mike. Thank you. I'm doing fine. And, and i got a question for you about ferns. Uh, for years, we had these beautiful ferns under a magnolia tree in our backyard, but uh, we built a new garage, and they dug all that out, and, the, and they all were removed. And so I'd like to go back and do them. And these were the kind of ferns that would come back on their own every year. It almost seemed like they even multiplied and made more of them. So I'm kind of wondering, what kind would that be? Where do you buy those? And how hard is it to get those established? Uh, There's lots of different perennial type ferns. So, I mean, there's everything from the Japanese painted fern to the Christmas fern. And some of them, I've got a variety of fern, which I can't remember what it was because when I bought it, it didn't have a name on it. I just bought it in a plastic bag. And uh, they're evergreen in the wintertime. So the Christmas, you know, not the Christmas ferns, not Christmas cactus, they stay green through the wintertime as well. Japanese painted fern does not. And there's maidenhair ferns. There's all kinds of ferns. And any kind of, you know, let's say year-round garden center should have hardy ferns. That's what you have to get. So how far down do you have to plant them in the ground? Basically, you're going to get this thing that looks like kind of a, a wad or a knob. And... What it is, the top of that wad or knob is right, kind of right at the surface. So you don't go down deep, but you have to have the soil improved that's well-drained and everything else. So even though, the let's say, the fronds, where the fronds are coming out and that, out of that knob, you, they have to be well, like I said, well-drained and a really nice, rich soil. If they're not, then you're not going to have success with them. Yeah, I'll give it a, so you can plant them now, then? Uh, you're not going to find them available now. 
if we put them in the spring, will they come up next year? Uh, yeah, they should. I mean, they should come up the you know the year you plant them, and they you know if the soil is prepared and everything else, then it should be fine. They should come back routinely, and they could you know can start colonizing. There's ostrich fern. Just look, you know, let's say go to the Missouri Botanical Garden site or go you. Know, and just look at hardy ferns and see how there's probably like 25 different ones you can grow here. Beautiful. All right, Mike. Well, thank you. Certainly. And should we take a break? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about uh, 10 minutes or so left on the show. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. 10 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 11 o'clock, the Helotech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Then, again, at 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. So all kinds of other stuff coming up. And let's see. all Great stuff. All of it. Let's go now to Breeze, Illinois, and see what's going on with Paul. Paul, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you, Mike? Very good. We have a silver maple shade tree in the backyard, and this past summer, late summer, the uh, fungus began coming out on the around the base. I think it's called a, a shelf fungus, and I think it's the one they call an artist conch, which has a white underbelly, and the artists uh, like to take it, and when you scrape it, it, it makes a dark mark. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes. I've read that it'll kill the tree within three to five years. Hmm. You know, if there, is there anything you can do to save the tree? For the most part, to be honest with you, the effectiveness of anything that you're trying to control in this circumstance is going to be really very, very iffy. So I would say there's really not too much you can do. I, if you do, you know, if there's a local arborist, you could have them come over and take a look. And, but beyond that, there's no, like, let's say, something that you can just go to a garden center yourself and buy and get this thing under control. Yeah. Well, if you break those fungus off, will that make a difference? Um, not really. Usually the, with fungus, whether it's mushrooms or what you're talking about or anything else, what you're seeing is sort of the end result. The reason why it's there is because what goes into the tree, tree roots, the tree bark, or into the ground, like for mushrooms. So it won't help all that much. It just kind of cosmetically gets gets rid of the obvious visual aspects of it. But the problem's coming from the inside, not from the outside. Right. Now, they say when trees are damaged, like by weed whackers, that these things can occur. Absolutely. So any kind of physical damage where there's some, you know, people use, you know, weed eaters and, the, you know, the string just whacks you know, the bark away and opens up wounds or run into them with mower or anything along that line. Any type of wound is not good for any tree. Yeah. And, you know, we had landscape uh, fabric around this tree, and I think that maybe that girdled the, uh, the base of the tree because it was really tight around the tree. And one spring, the leaves were really late coming out. So after that, I'd cut that landscape fabric all back, but it's still there. There's still some there. So I wonder if the girdling might have affected it, too. Well, I'm surprised. I don't know of a landscape fabric that could be tight enough to girdle a tree. Well, the roots grow into the fabric, so, you know, the grass roots and everything. Right. So that it, so it was holding that in place. 
Which, yeah, I mean, landscape fabric lets moisture and everything. I don't know if it's a landscape fabric or not. I mean, I guess it could have been, but routinely that's not something that's going to cause problems as far as girdling. I see. Well, you know, this this particular mushroom is valued by in Chinese medicine. Maybe it's more valuable than the tree. (laughs) Right. You could call this Paul's Valuable Chinese Medicine Mushroom Farm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, well, we have another stump, and I tried to propagate it over to the stump. The, the tree guy was supposed to get the stump out, but he never came back to do it. So Really? I'm Hopefully he didn't pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this mushroom will eat it up for us. Exactly. Certainly could. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Yep. And it. now let's go to South County. Denise, how are you? Good. How are you today, Mike? Fine. Great. Hey, I have a recipe that I use. Uh, it's a Christmas tree solution to extend the life of a cut tree. Ah. We mix this up every year. Um, it's supposed to make it flame retardant. My brother-in-law has taken the branch outside and tried to light it and says it doesn't light. Um, but most importantly, it keeps the tree green longer. Um, the needles usually don't fall off. Really? Can I give you that recipe? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So into two gallons of hot water, and I usually use my sprinkling can for two gallons, you put in a half a teaspoon of borax, two ounces of Clorox, one teaspoon of Chalet iron, two cups Cairo syrup, and two pinches of Epsom salt. And wow. It up. And I, feed, I put that in the initial solution when we put our live tree into the stand, and then that's what I feed it throughout the season. And usually I get by with just two gallons. Oh, you're kidding. Nope. Of course, a fresh cut tree. You know, sure. cut the tree, right. but um, it works wonderful. We have used it for almost 20 years now and um, never had any problems. Wow, that's I keep great. It just in my laundry room, so I don't put it out in the cold garage, <laughs> so the solution stays room temp. <laughs> Sounds mm-hmm. perfect. What a yeah. combination of things. You know, you always wonder when somebody comes up with this kind of combination, how in the world they had ever think of putting Cairo syrup in with all this other Epsom salts and everything else. Well, you know, that provides the sugar, the, the food for the right. tree, and the Shalita iron keeps it green, and uh, the Clorox and the Borax keep it from molding. <laughs> and the Epsom salt, I guess that's uh, what a ion it gives it. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, yeah. well, thanks. Sure. I hope it helps others. Sure. Thanks, uh-huh. Denise. And now let's go to Springfield, Illinois. Alan, how are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I recently moved, and in the move, we dug up some bulbs from the old house, gladiolias, and some magic lilies, and I've got those bulbs in a five-gallon bucket in my new garage, and I wondered what I needed to do with those to keep them over the winter till I can get them in the ground in the spring. Well, the gladiolias are generally, are generally not hardy, so usually you have to plant them every year. So did you have ones that, were, that came back routinely for you? Yeah. Really? Maybe I've got the wrong, yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, that's kind of a rare circumstance. But what I would probably do is, if they're in pots and they're not piled up on top of each other and there's soil there, my tendency would be almost to just to kind of make sure that these are very important to you, that you don't lose them. I would take some of them out, like half of each type of bulb that you have, out and plant it in the ground, Prepared area, well-drained, like you know that if you've had success with them, you know, the surprise lily, like chorus or whatever it happens to be, and, you know, get those in the ground. The other half I would leave in, you know, let's say pots with potting mix in the garage. That way you can kind of make sure. And then the ones that are in the garage, then you'd take those outside when the weather starts warming up 
in the springtime and put them in the ground at that time. So the ones in garage cover with potting soil and right. And that okay. just acts as an insulator. And don't leave the pots sitting on the garage floor. Elevate them even just a couple inches on, you know, layers of cardboard boxes or something like that. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Yeah, I mean, surprise that you can have actually gladiolas come back every year because that's a real unusual circumstance. So means, Alan, you're a great gardener. And uh, for other people, you know, I have so many cannas, so many elephant ears. And I still have mine in the garage. I, you know, so I have to shake all the potting mix and everything, you know, the soil off of them. Make sure they're really dry, and then I put them in paper bags, and then I bring them into the basement. What I that's what I do with those in the winter time. But uh, thanks to everybody for calling in, and I greatly appreciate it. And uh, hopefully it's not so cold because when I get back from my walk and talk in Bridgeton, I've got some things to do in the yard. And uh, sometimes, no, it's just, it's not that bad out there yet. It's, you go in and if it gets cold and you just head into the garage for a couple minutes, get warmed up. I, you know, I could go in the house, but sometimes I'm kind of dirty and filthy and because I've been monkeying around with stuff. And then consequently, I don't want to head back outside, you know, after, or I don't want to go inside and make the house, you know, let's say, I don't want to say dirty, but it, it, you know, you do get dirty when you work in the yard. So uh, I just kind of stay out in the garage and just take it easy. And again, thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks to Greg for producing today. Makes it, like I said, so much easier. So if you do have any questions or concerns, I guess I'll be back next week, at least as far as I know. And uh, have an enjoyable day. Wow. I just wish the sun would come out just a little bit. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.